0: All right, we have finished up uh, an eight-week series on the vision of the church. We spent four weeks dealing with the foundation or where we build the vision from, and then we spent four weeks working through each statement or each, yeah, each statement of the vision. And now, as we close that series, we've closed that series out, and we're moving into what we're looking at or what I'm calling our distinctives. and. There's two reasons we're doing this, really. The first is is that the majority of the people in the church, in fact, as I look across the room and I think about the people that aren't here today, the majority of the people in our church have been with us for really less than a year. And it's just we had a turnover last year and it's something that people always say happens. I didn't think it would be so drastic. Maybe maybe it's really recognizable with us because it happened over the a period of about 6 months as people who had been with us for a while kind of moved on and, and people came in and really covenanted with the church and it's really the the best thing that could have happened to us because we have a core of people in our church now that this is church to them This is they're not looking for another group of people they're committed and you can see that in uh, in in the people that we have in community groups, you can see that in the level of giving that people give um, and just how, how committed everybody is and so what I recognized though at the beginning of the year was Some people who have been in the church for a while were asking me some questions about, well, what's the vision of the church? And I thought, wow, if they don't know, then how can I expect the people that have only been here a short while, how can I expect them to know? And so I recognized my own failure in not making sure that we were getting the vision of the church into every person that comes in. And so that's first and foremost, we w- we're doing this really for everybody that's in the church now so that you have an understanding of what we're striving to be and what we're striving to do in light of the gospel. We'll deal with distinctives because there's certain things that make us distinct as believers from people who are outside the church or who don't follow Christ. But there's also distinctions among us and in our church that dis- distinguishes us from other churches as well. And so I want you guys to be informed about those. Second, the reason we're doing it is as we continue to move forward, the intent is through the summer to really formalize our membership process so that when people come to us and say, hey, I'd like to have information about being a member, it's actually a little box on the card that, they, that visitors will fill out, and they can check, I want information. And so what happens is every time somebody checks that box, Amy and I take them, and we take people, and we go, and we have coffee or you know something with them and just spend some time talking through, what it means to be a, a member of the church. Some of you did it in so quickly that we invited a group of you over to our house and that's typically the way we do it. We either we either sit with you personally or we sit with you in a group and talk through what it means to be a member of the church and what the expectations of membership are and, and things like that. But as we move forward we, re- we really need to formalize that and ensure that everybody that comes to be a member of the church understands what we're doing. I mean it would be like if I lived in Mexico And thought, wow, it looks great in America. I wish I could go to America and live because it seems so promising over there. So I get up and I move to America but decide that I think everything in America should be like Mexico. Well, why didn't I just stay in Mexico? You see what I'm saying? So the idea is is that we don't change every time we add a new member. The idea is, is that members come and join us because they recognize what we're striving to do, what we're striving to be. And they want to they they lock arms with us on this mission God's given us to do. And so that's the second reason, is that so we can kind of formalize that process. Not to take the personal intimacy out of it, but to ensure that everybody is coming along and, and, and becoming part of the same, it unifies us in mission. That's a better way to say it. So that's the two reasons. And today, as we start into this series on distinctives, let me just make sure that you all understand this. I'm going to teach on several things over the next several weeks, and some of these things you may never have heard of, you may never have been exposed to, you may, you may not even really agree with. And just because you don't totally agree with them doesn't necessarily mean you can't come and be a member of the church. There's things that, that I'll talk about that, for example, eldership, uh, el- an elder-led government. That's something that's really not, not a lot of people in our area are exposed to, especially because the the type of church governments that are, are most common here with the Southern Baptist and the Assembly of God, most of those church governments are congregational, where the congregation votes on everything and they run the church. And As you study the Bible, you'll, I'll just show you that there's a totally different perspective and intent, I think, for from God's perspective for how he wants his church led and run. And so, we're going to deal with that. That may be totally new and it may be something you struggle with and have have problems with, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Now, what, what I would ask, though, is that as we deal with these distinctives, if you come across something that you're like, man, I just don't, I don't, I don't like that. Don't get mad and leave. Let's talk. Let's discuss. Let's converse. Because ultimately, as, as I'm going to challenge you today, we start with the Bible, and it becomes our measure for everything else. And so as, the, the distinctive we're going to look at today is the view of the Bible, the reason that you need to understand the distinctives and the reason I want you to hear them is because as, as I teach and as I'm responsible to raise up other leaders and teachers in the church, we're going to expect them to have common views on these, on these distinctives. So that as we teach and as we lead in this mission, we have a unified force. We have a unified voice in our teaching and we have a unified di- direction in our leadership. And I want each of you to be familiar with them. And so, like I said, today we're going to start with the Bible and, and our view of the Bible. Now, I don't think, I think this is going to be an easy one, because I don't think that there's anyone that's a member of our church that's going to have a struggle or a problem with this. If you're visiting with us, maybe this is going to be a little different for you, but understand again, this is, this is the, the, the direction or the perspective we teach from. Every one of us deal with doubts at different times. Everyone struggle with different questions about the Bible. Don't, don't assume that just because this is the perspective we teach from, that there's not difficulties or issues that each person is going to deal with differently. And so anyway, we'll, we'll work through that. But here, here it is. Right from our, right from our statement of faith, right from uh, some of our foundational paperwork, our standard for truth is God's holy word, The Bible is the source and standard by which all beliefs, experiences, and practices must be measured, interpreted, and understood. In declaring our trust in God's word, we recognize that there are many different positions or interpretations that fall short of its truth. Nobody has ever said that my interpretation or the interpretation of another, I shouldn't say nobody, I think there's some whack jobs out there that have said everything they say about the Bible is true. But we can interpret the Bible incorrectly. We can read the Bible and misunderstand it. That's why there's denominational divisions. That's why there's there's uh, differences between Protestants and Roman Catholics. That's why there's there's uh, offshoots like uh, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. Who the Jehovah's Witnesses use the Bible, but they interpret some of the Bible just in in a in a crazy way. And so there's reasons. to to be concerned about these interpretations, there's reasons to listen closely to how people interpret this, but that does not remove, that does not remove the the, the weight and and the fact that the Bible is God's truth, and that's really what we're going to focus on, that's what we're going to deal with today, quite simply, just as plainly and as, as simply and concisely as possible. This is our position. This is the position that you will hear from the leadership of the church. We believe that the Bible is the inspired and inerrant word of God. Inspired and inerrant. And we'll, we'll look at that and we'll break that down today. And then that will give us some application. If you've got a Bible, we're going to look at 2 Timothy 3. You've probably heard this if you've been around church for long. Um, 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. If you don't have a Bible, the verse is on the screen. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now, Paul is giving Timothy. Paul is, is, is a, a, an apostle. He's mature in the faith, and he is handing off his work to a guy named Timothy. He's not, Timothy's not the only guy that Paul handed off work to and passed on the work to. But Timothy's one of the guys, one of the many people that Paul discipled and taught and raised up. And and equipped for ministry and Paul is dealing with Timothy and he says that he's giving Timothy encouragement and he's giving Timothy instruction and he comes to this place where he's talking about and about to challenge Timothy to preach the word and he encourages him with this statement first. If you're going to preach the word, know this. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. There's reason to preach the word. Because it's not man's opinion. It's not not some, some story that was told that just sounds good and makes people feel warm and fuzzy. It is God's word. So preach it. But here's the question and the struggles that we deal with in our culture and context today. Timothy was willing to accept that Scripture was God's Word. But now we ask questions like, well, wait a minute, all Scripture, okay, well, what's Scripture? What does that even mean? What, what does Scripture even mean? And, and how do we know what Scripture is? How do I really know that, that this book is, is Scripture? And we struggle with things like that. And, and the reality is, I know people in this church who have struggled with questions that focused around the Bible and it's pushed them to not believe or, 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 or challenged them to, to, to walk away from their faith for a period of time because they just couldn't see it. They, they doubted in it. But as we look at Scripture, as, as we look at, at, at the history, as we look at its own its own testimony, as we listen to the testimonies of those who have, who have studied it and the ways it's changed people's lives I think we can begin to see why we consider this to be scripture in, in fact, we can't, I don't have time to give you an exhaustive history on what scripture is or how we come to have 66 books in our Bible I, I can't give you that, I can this week if you're, if, if you're so interested in fact, I'll just get it and I'll send it out on an email so that you guys have it have it, and if you don't decide not to read it or study it, that's your own own issue, not mine. I've made it available. I will make available to you uh, a chapter, a couple of chapters on the Bible from a guy named Wayne Grudem who deals with the, the doctrines and, and the reasons we have these 66 books, and he does it in a concise, does it in a pastorly way, and so, so I'll, I'll make that available. But there's three points I do want to make sure that we cover and understand. The testimony of Scripture, the testimony of history, and the testimony of those that are sitting in this room that their lives have been changed by Scripture. All three of those point to the fact that what we have is the Bible. First, the testimony of Scripture. All the way through the Old Testament, you find places where God is commanding His prophets, commanding His people to write these things down. Uh, You you find places where prophets are proclaiming something and they say, thus says the Lord. They are speaking for God. Jesus, as he's on the earth, is constantly referring back to the Old Testament. The the apostles, as they wrote the books of the New Testament, constantly referring back to the the Old Testament and drawing from it. it. Over and over and over, you see them refer back to these things and refer to the authority that the scriptures had. And in the New Testament, we see that in, in different places where it speaks of P- Peter at one point refers to Paul's writing, and they, they, Paul at one point refers to the book of Luke, and, and so you see that they are referring to one another, demonstrating inside the pages of Scripture that its own testimony is that these are holy Scriptures, that they are distinct, that they are different, that they are in some way from God, and they come with authority the testimony of history tells us and shows us that the books of the Old Testament, the, the, all of the books that we have in the Old Testament, and, and I'll say it like this. Let me say it like this. All of the books in the Protestant Old Testament, all the way from Genesis to Malachi, history shows us that those are books that have always been accepted as Scripture. And even before the Christians were accepting them as Scripture, the Jews, who God chose to work through, and chose to bring His Messiah through, and chose to send His Son primary first to, He they saw them as Scripture. And there's questions, there's there's issues that come with this because there's a Roman Bible, a Roman Catholic Bible, and there's a Christian or a Protestant Bible. And people struggle. Well, wait a minute. What what makes yours right and theirs wrong? And I, you know, honestly, I guess really it comes down to the fact that. The testimony of Scripture, Jesus never once referred to anything from the Apocryphal books that are in the Roman Catholic Bible. In fact, even the books of the Apocrypha, which the Roman Catholics put in their Bible, it's seven books and a portion of Daniel, if I remember right. Of those, of those letters, none of them even really claim to be Scripture. There's, there's really no, no, no authority in them, and there's, there's no speaking for God in them. The testimony of history says that the Jews didn't even recognize these letters, although they were letters that the Jews read and knew of and understood. They really were written. They're real letters. But even the Jews, who they were written to, didn't accept them as Scripture. The Roman Catholic Church didn't always accept them as Scripture. History shows us that the Roman Catholics didn't even decide that these books were the Bible, these extra books in the Bible, they weren't even scripture until 15, I'm gonna forget the date. I'm terrible with dates. I should have wrote it down. 1567 or whenever the, the Reformation took place, they responded and they got together and they said, you know what? They've taken books out of the Bible. We don't like it. We've got to decide to do something. And they get together, they have a council and they determine that the books, that their extra books are biblical. History shows us that the guy who translated the, the Bible for the Roman Catholic Church, he translated it from Greek and Hebrew into Latin. He didn't even want to translate them. He didn't want them to be in the, the, the Catholic Bible. He didn't want them to be in there because they weren't Scripture. But then he was threatened with his life and basically was made to do it. So they found their way in. And so in these two perspectives, the testimony of Scripture itself, the testimony of, of history, we see that, that at some level, at some, at some level, people have always been saying that these books that we have, these 66 books put together are the Bible. They are God's Word. They are the Scriptures. But it, does, it goes beyond that. Because there's people all over this room, there's people all over the city, there's people in our state, there's people who have lived since the time that the Bible is given to us, and they can attest to the power of its words. I'll just give you my own story, just real quickly. Man, I was angry and bitter at God, and I was running, and I was doing everything I could to convince the world around me that I had never had anything to do with Him. I was a believer. Things hadn't worked out the way I'd hoped they, they would, and so I got mad acted like a little kid throwing a tantrum and basically flipped God off and ran the other direction but God was faithful and he kept people in my path and he continued to put them in my path and tell me over and over and over I mean this is a constant thing it happens happened weekly you need to get back in the Bible you need to read the word just just go do it spend some time reading the Bible I was 27, had been a Christian for about six years at this point, point, had never sat down to read the Bible by myself, never, never looked for anything in it except, you know, there was a point when I wanted to drink, and I was like, I'm just making sure it doesn't say don't drink somewhere, and I would try to justify myself in ways like that. But for the first time in my life, at about 27 years old, I sat down to read the Bible. And it didn't happen the first day, wasn't even really the first week, might not have even been the first month. But as I began to read and spent time every day reading something, I began to see things open up and gain perspectives that I had never had before. And I began to see a God who was gracious, whose love was real, whose justice was right. I began to see things in Scripture, and and I tell people it sounds hokey, but it was almost like it it, it came to a time where as I opened the Bible, it never failed that I was seeing something new. And I tell people, it it sounds hokey, but I tell people it's almost as if I could see it breathing. Because I found life. And, and I can say this with confidence, not because of my experience, but because God's word will never come back void. It's never going to be preached. It's never going to be proclaimed. It's never going to come back void. God will do his work through his word. That's my testimony. And the thing is, is I know that I'm not the only one with a story like that. But God, through his word, took a, a brat of a baby Christian, this Spoiled, rotten, brat, and began to mature me and turn my life around. And I have no doubt, I have no doubt because my confidence is in the power of God through His holy word that He can do the same for others. And so we have the testimony of, of Scripture, we have the testimony of history, and we have. Personal testimonies of people you know People in this room People that are in churches across Springfield That can tell you the difference it will make and So we recognize this to be The scriptures And if that's true If this is the scripture If, if this is a holy writing a, a distinct writing That means something Because this verse tells us something about the scriptures This verse tells us that they are breathed out by God. And what that really means is that they're inspired by God. It means at some level that God was involved with the way they were written, with what was written, with the words that came out. God, you know, there's this view of deism that God is distant. He created and just... Boom! There's the earth, and you know I'm just going to leave it to themselves. But, but obviously, if we've got the Bible, and if it's true, which obviously we expect it to be, if God breathed it out, then we see that God is interacting with His creation, and God wants us to know these things. And, and the Bible shows us God; it shows us God in a very specific light. You don't have to have the Bible to know that there's a God. In fact, the Bible tells us that the heavens declare His glory. You may not know much about God, but look around at the creation. There's really only two options anymore, and you can can believe in Darwinism, and you can follow that truth, or you can follow that God created. And and honestly, man, if you weigh the evidence, consider it. You're going to have to take a step of faith in Darwinism. Because they can't prove it really happened. They can't prove evolution really occurred. They, they don't have the missing links. There's, there's too many questions. There, there's going to be a step of faith. But there's going to be a step of faith that God wrote the Bible and his words are true and it tells us he created. Or there's going to be a step of faith that you look around and there's too, too much intention It's too intentional. It's too complicated to just be an accident. There's too much that demonstrates. And the place we find that truth is the Word of God. That's where we're taught it. The idea that it's inspired, let me read this quote to you from J.I. Packer. Inspiration establishes that the Bible is a divine product. In other words, Scripture is divinely inspired in that God actively worked through the process and had his hand in the outcome of what Scripture would say. Inspired Scripture is simply written revelation, meaning it's revelation from God. Scripture is not only man's word, but also and equally God's word, spoken through man's lip or written with man's pen. Peter, when he was writing about how how the scriptures were written And how prophecy was given, revelation was given He says in Second Peter one twenty one. He says for no prophecy Was ever produced by the will of man But men spoke From God as they were carried along By the Holy Spirit Which means that God was actively Working in people To make sure that his word was Proclaimed Now I'm going to give you Well I'm going to give you one view This is my view and, and ultimately this is the view that that as we lead and as we uh, um, teach in the church, this is the view that we, I think we need to take. And that view is called verbal plenary view of of inspiration, which simply means that God had a part in the words that were chosen, and God had a part in the people that wrote it, and all of it, every word, even the word and, and the the, the conjunctions, the prepositions, the subject, the the nouns, the verbs, all of that. Everything was his. Now, there's a lot of different views that you can take. You can take limited views of inspiration that God inspired the principles or the concepts that are presented, but not necessarily the individual words. You're welcome to hold that view. I'm telling you that from, from a leadership standpoint, as I stand to lead the church, as we raise up other leaders, we're going to ask them to hold this view, verbal plenary view. It's not that I think, actually I do think one's better than the other. I think there's reason for one and not the other. Um, but that's ultimately not the purpose of this discussion. So that's the, the, our view of inspiration or the inspired word of God. It's not just inspired though, it's inerrant. So God spoke to people, they wrote it down. He basically helped them with the words. He showed them you know, how all that works, how the Holy Spirit's influencing them and working in them somewhat mysterious there's just as many mysteries with with that as as with other things in the Bible we're told this is the way it happens and so we have to some level accept that now the other side is the inspiration or the inerrancy meaning that there's no mistakes and as soon as I say that I know that there's probably some people in the room well wait a minute I I know some mistakes and and yeah in, in this book there's some mistakes or some questions, or some concerns, but in the original text, in the original man- manuscripts, they're called the Autographer, there was no mistakes. Everything was written exactly as God intended it, and everything was recorded and, and said exactly what he wanted it to say. So that raises a question, well, wait a minute. You just told me there might be mistakes in my Bible. How, why would I even read it if there's, it's not dependable, if it's not trustworthy? We know from the vast manuscript evidence that there's 99% of all that we read today in our Bibles, in the translated Bibles, whether it's the ESV, whether it's the New American Standard, NIV, it's based on, they're built out of manuscripts that we know are 99% accurate. So you can be certain that 99% of what you're reading in this text is completely accurate. It's exactly what was written 2,000 years ago or even longer ago um, if it's the Old Testament and the things that we question there's certain passages that they're not certain on there's always a footnote and if you look at the footnotes in your Bible there's a place in John 8, there's a footnote John 8 shows a footnote because they're not certain exactly where the story of the woman caught in adultery goes in the Bible because some places it's recorded in Luke some places it's recorded in John some places it's not even there And so they're not certain. And so they make sure that people know this passage of Scripture we're not 100% sure on. It doesn't take away from the Bible. It doesn't change the message of the Bible, so we've left it there. But you need to know, there's a question. Because at the end of the day, what the translators are doing today is they're trying to make sure that you understand that you and I can be confident in the truth that's displayed here because most of, the, most of the difficulties or most of the problems that they find in the translations have nothing to do with the story itself. There's minute details that, that, that a copyist has changed a number, like the number of, of men in a battle or, or the, the way that some, something occurred, like the specific order of one set of circumstances or another. And, and the reality is, is that those things never, ever change the overarching theme of Scripture. And so as you look at this and as you read it and as I encourage you to, to study it and dig on it, You can be confident that this is what was written. And the places where there's question, there's going to be a footnote. Something to tell you. Something to inform you that, that, hey, we're trying to be above the table here. We, We want to be above the board. We want everyone to know. We're not trying to hide anything. God has given us a revelation. He has spoken through people. He has recorded it so that it will never be able to be changed. I mean, imagine how important it is that it's written down. We can't ever question it now. We can't, we've got too many manuscripts. There's too much history. There's, there's way too much that people can go back and say, that was never written. It's too much. We have God's Word written, and we can be confident in what's written. It's inerrant and inspired. <clears throat> Let me, here's, here's just a quick definition for you for inerrancy so that you can walk away with this. The inerrancy of scripture means that scripture is the original, as in the original manuscripts, does not affirm anything that is contrary to fact. Now... We can't assume that because it's inerrant that it tells us all truth. For example, it doesn't say anywhere in the Bible that two plus two is four, does it? No, but we know it's true. I mean, two plus two, if you take two apples and you put two apples together, you got four, right? I mean, that's a fact. It doesn't tell us that in the Bible. It doesn't tell us in the Bible that the earth revolves around the sun. But it's a fact. We've been able to see it. We can prove it. It doesn't tell us in the Bible that the, the speed of light is uh, 186,000 fast. It doesn't tell us. That's how good I am with numbers. It doesn't tell us that, does it? But we've been able to show it. See, the Bible doesn't prove every fact. It doesn't prove every truth. There's truth outside the Bible. It doesn't prove every truth of of experience. It's true that you're sitting in this room and looking at me speak, and I'm wearing a gray shirt. That's true. Unless you're colorblind, it may look a little different, but the reality is it's gray. It's it's true that you're sitting next to someone in a chair or or you're sitting in a hard chair wondering, man, how long is he going to go on about this? That's true. It's absolutely true. I hope you're not, but... Matters of experience, it doesn't necessarily prove every truth that way. But what it does prove, and what it does apply to, is that certainly the Bible reveals to us God, who He is It's specific revelation. It shows us a God who not only created, but who attends to His creation. It shows us a God who didn't walk away, but is intimately involved. It shows us a God who loved a fallen Rebellious creation enough that he came, put on flesh, dwelt among us that he might provide redemption and restoration. It shows to us a God who is just and who doesn't just deal with sin lightly. It shows to us a God that should be feared but because of his great love for us can be trusted implicitly. Because of his great love for us and his his amazing grace and his, his great mercy. It shows us this God that, that can be dependent on, that can be walked with in intimate relationship. It shows us a God who's not, who, who's not uh, uncaring but but compassionate. And the Bible shows us not just this God, but it shows us ourselves. See, the, the truth is, is that, I think the things we don't like about the Bible most are not just that God is just, God is loving. I think the things we really struggle with in the Bible is that it shows us really who we are apart from Him. There's not a hero in the Bible that did it right. I mean, they made the pages of Scripture because their worst days or what's recorded in many cases. I mean, if I'm the leader of a country, the last thing I want people to know is that I... Slept with one of my soldiers' wives and sent him out to war to be killed. But that's the man that the scripture calls as a man after God's own heart. If I'm the leader of, the, of, of, a, of a young rebellion, I don't, I don't want people knowing that I denied the guy that I was following and I was too big a chicken to stand up for. See, the, the thing is, is that the scripture shows us ourselves. It shows us that we are sinful and in need of a Savior. And it shows us on the other side of that salvation and conversion experience that now that we are free in Christ, there is a responsibility to live that way. And the worst part is, is that we constantly find ourselves, even as believers, screwing that up. And that's why it's so good to know that the Bible shows a God who's not only just, but a God who's gracious. Because as we, as we see that and see it work out in the midst of things, that, that we recognize that we don't stand now as believers in our own sin and in our own shame, but we stand covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, that's what the Bible reveals. That's, that's the truth. That's the story that it's telling from start to finish. God created, man rebelled. God continued to work with him and put in process a plan to redeem and restore the world so that his creation, so that his people, the the crown jewel of his creation could walk in relationship with him and spend eternity with him. So no, the Bible's not going to give you every last fact that there is that you can figure out in life. But I can tell you it's going to give you the most important. It's going to give you the ones that matter most. Psalm 1, 1 through 3 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers because in God's inerrant and inspired word, he works. and He does a a work in his people that study it and, and consider it and contemplate it and meditate on it and think about it. Most of us don't understand the power of the Word. We don't understand the experience that we can find in the Word because we're not ever sitting down to read the Word. I want us to have this perspective because I want you to understand how important this is, not just to the person leading, not just to those teaching, but to you as individual believers. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. That's talking about his word. Psalm 19, 7 through 8, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Reviving the soul. Man, I know that. I don't just read it, I've experienced it. I was angry and bitter and far off and running hard. And God's word revived my soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. You know what happens when you read the Bible? It changes your perspectives. We all have a limited perspective. I mean, we are finite creatures with finite perspectives. We can't see past the horizon. We don't know what's going to happen in the next moment. We, we can't be certain of almost anything. We have really no control over our circumstances. At times, we feel like it. At times, we think we do. We'll tell ourselves that lie. But the truth is that there's things we are out of control. You know what the Bible does for us? It's like climbing up on a mountain and gaining a perspective off into a distance that we would never be able to see on our own. It gives us simple. It gives us the simple. All of us are simple, Finite creatures, it gives us an eternal perspective. It gives us enlightenment. It encourages or it educates us. Psalm twelve six. The words twelve six. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. God's word, the holy scriptures. These words, this book. It's like getting the most pure. Of things. It stands out. There is nothing that comes close. The scriptures are God's pure, holy word. Psalm one nineteen, one oh five, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Most of the time, we're struggling through life, and I deal with people all the time who want to know God's will. They want to know God's will, and man, should I buy this house? Should I, should I spend the money on, on this big thing? Should I get married? Should I do this? Should I do that? And honestly, I, I mean, I, I, I believe that God has a plan for your life. I believe that there's details that he knows about. He knows every second of your day from before the time you were born. He has known it. The scriptures tell us that, that every day of ours, he's known from before the foundations of time. He has always known you. But the direction, that, that the words that the Bible teaches us is not about how to build the kingdom here. See, it gives us instruction to follow a path that he has for us. And it doesn't mean that he's going to tell us the future. It doesn't mean that he's going he's to give us all the ins and outs. It doesn't mean that he's even going to give us the specific details. But when you're studying and following and reading God's word those questions are going to fade away because you're going to recognize that as you step in to make that major commitment to buy the house, that you're going there to glorify God because that's what he's called us to do wherever we are. As you consider being married, if if you're the man and you consider being married, you're going to be going into that situation not wondering, oh God, is this what you want me to do? You're going to be going into it thinking, God, how are you going to empower me to be the husband you've called me to be? If you're the wife, you're going to be looking at the scriptures and you're going to be thinking... God, how am I ever going to fulfill this role you've given me? You see, the the will of God is plain in the scriptures. We want the blueprints. We want the details. But God has given us so much. His word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. His inerrant, inspired word. Just think of this. That God spent the time and took the effort to speak to you. That's amazing. And he did it in such a way that now today, we we can certainly come up with questions and we can struggle with the answers. And And we can deal with our doubts. But if we'll get in, if we will get in and study the word, I think that you will be like me. I think you'll find your testimony to say that this proves to be God's inspired and errant word. It can be trusted. Because we believe the Bible to be the inspired and inerrant word of God, there's three things that I want you to take away from this today, just, just as your own, for your own application. The Bible's authoritative. Look, when he says this in Second Timothy, let's go back to that, Second Timothy, he says, all scriptures breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. You don't hear him saying that, hey, this is, this is good for you to read and study and take it the way you feel like taking it that day. It's not like you and I can get together one day and decide what the Bible says just because we like the way it says it better. There's a group that got together and did that in the 70s. They call it the Jesus Seminar. And what they did is they started to take votes on what Jesus really said and what he didn't say. And so what they've tried to do is they've taken parts out of the New Testament and they've like, well, we don't really think Jesus said that. That's not, he's not that kind of guy. And so they've taken portions out. You know what happens when you do that, though? Well, if he didn't say that, how can you tell me he said anything else? You totally undermine it. That's what happens when we try to stand over the Bible and be the authority over God's word. When I, when I go to the Bible and I think, hmm, I've got to prove myself right. How can I do that? That's the wrong attitude. It's the wrong way to approach it. See, the scriptures were given to teach, to reprove, to correct, to train in righteousness. The Bible is the authority, and I have to sit under its authority. It's got to come down on me, and I've got to bend my will to it rather than bend it to my will. It comes to me with authority. It comes to me from a position of being right and I'm wrong. I don't like being wrong. I hate it. In fact, my arguments with my wife are typically because I don't want to be wrong. We argue because she doesn't agree that I'm always right. But that's the truth. It's it's showing us our failures. It's showing us how we're put together in Christ. It's showing us now the right way to go. See, the Bible has authority. And too often we come to Scripture. We come to Scripture thinking that we've got to prove ourselves or justify ourselves when maybe we need to come to Scripture and and let ourselves be convicted and let ourselves be shown to be wrong and let ourselves find the hope and the grace that's in Jesus Christ instead of ourselves. And the Bible, whether you recognize it or not, it's extremely relevant to your life. There's a whole movement in Christianity today that's all about making the Bible relevant. We gotta, we gotta make it relevant to the people. Hey, the Bible's the truth of God that demonstrates to us the gospel and, and how we move from a place of lost con- condemnation to found eternal, uh, eternal life of Christ. I, I don't know how more relevant you get But we don't recognize its relevance because we're often too busy building our own little kingdoms and trying to strive after our own little things. You see, the Bible is kind of like a cookbook. When's a cookbook relevant to you? It's not like we sit down and read cookbooks every day, do you? I mean, how many people sit down and read a cookbook? Is there any? Nancy's laughing because she does. But it's only really relevant when you're sitting down to to make a meal, right? When you want to, man, I'm going to try something new. I want to just wow my family with this amazing meal. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to impress them and make myself look like this amazing cook. That, that's when a cookbook is really relevant. How about a dictionary? Any of you guys just spend time learning words just for the heck of it? Those, a dictionary is really relevant when you're trying to prove yourself right about the meaning of a word, ain't it? Let's look it up. For, 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 for too many of us, The Bible is only relevant at certain times because we're only seeing it as relevant to portions of our life. The Bible is relevant to every area of your life because without having God in the proper perspective, without having your your own life underneath his authority and underneath his grace and recognizing his justice, you can't get anything else right. It may look like it at times and it may feel like it at times and, and honestly you may not even recognize the relevance of the scriptures. But the truth is is if you don't find relevancy in the word it's because you're not spending time reading and studying the word. And it demonstrates a lack of maturity. And I say that not to really just be in your face about it but to, to demonstrate to you. We as a, as a body of believers, we as a people of God. And it's not just our church, this is, this is all over America these days. We don't know why we believe what we believe anymore. Why do you believe that God is sovereign? Why do you believe that God saves people? And you can see this in church leadership. There was a guy named Josh McDowell several years ago that went around asking youth leaders, youth leaders, Why do you believe the Bible? Why do you believe in God? Why? Why? And asking all these questions, why? And leaders in the church couldn't give answers. We want the Bible to be made relevant to us because we don't understand it anymore. But we don't understand it anymore, not because the Bible has failed or God has failed, but because we're not approaching the Bible. We're we're not coming to its pages And looking for its truth We're not coming to its pages And understanding that God Desperately wants you to hear him there He wants you to have that experience When Jesus was here When Jesus was here He promised the the coming Holy Spirit And he said the Holy Spirit Is going to lead you into truth He's going to show you the truth He's going to teach you He's not going to make up his his own stuff. He's going to say the things that he's been told to say. And the Holy Spirit can teach each one of you. There's not a person in this room that is a believer in Jesus Christ that that this promise doesn't apply to. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you, like me, can sit down and begin to read the Bible. And it'll come to life for you. The Holy Spirit will teach you. You're not going to be the one Christian that the Holy Spirit decides. Well, I don't want you to know, and there's no, it, it, there's no way I can teach you. That's, that's, there's no Christian, there's no, no follower in Jesus Christ that that's doesn't apply to. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is how relevant the word of God is. It's God's word that gives power and comes into our life and carves us apart. And it reveals our own fallenness, our own dependence on the Savior. It, it, it reveals in us the things that God's doing. It reveals in us the new motives that He's placing there, the thoughts and intents of your heart. This is how rel- relative it is to your life. But too often, too often, we're stuck building our own kingdoms, running after our own selfish desires. It's not going to be easy. It's going to take discipline But I have no doubt if you, will, if you will discipline yourself To be in the word You will find it relevant To every aspect of your walk And your life The Bible is sufficient Last point, the Bible is sufficient Another reason I think That we struggle with the, the relevancy Is that we don't think the Bible Is as sufficient as it could be So we spend a lot of time Reading all kinds of things Except the Bible And I'm glad if you read authors that teach on doctrine and and and, you know teach through books. I'm, I'm glad for that. If you read explicit gospel by Matt Chandler, excuse me. If you read Wayne Grudem's systematic theology, I'm all for that kind of stuff. Read it, study it. But don't ever let that surpass the Bible. Don't depend so heavily on their opinions and their perspectives of the Bible that you're missing out on what the Bible says. If you're listening to guys on podcasts, if if you're coming here and you're learning, I'm so thankful for that. Keep coming. Keep coming back. It works. I'm glad. Keep listening to those preachers' podcasts. There's some out there. I mean, I know I I am not God's gift of preaching. I am barely gifted in it, I think, probably. But the reality is, is that there's guys out there that just, man, when they say something, it's like, wow. It's amazing but don't depend so heavily on their perspectives that you lose sight of the Bible I mean certainly when when God's word is proclaimed and preached I believe that's God's word but how will you ever know when a guy's missing it if you don't know it yourself I mean what if I got up here one day and I was teaching you and just said Jesus didn't die for your sin can you, can you prove to me that that's a lie? See, the Bible's sufficient for not just eternal life, but just as it said, it equips, a, a man equips people for every good work. There's no other book that'll do that. It doesn't matter how good the author is. doesn't matter how doctrinal is. It doesn't matter how long that guy's been teaching, how long that guy's been dead. There's no book that stands up to this. can do it certainly you're going to have questions that's why you have teachers certainly there's going to be things that you don't understand that's why there's a community of believers that can stand together and look at the scriptures together and challenge one another in it certainly there's going to be things that you struggle with that you don't necessarily like but it says it so plainly that you can't help but accept it the Bible is sufficient the Bible's authoritative and the Bible is extremely relevant because it is the inerrant, inspired word of God. Let's pray. Well, Father, I I thank you so much that you didn't leave us in the dark. That you gave us your word, your written word to read.